719 on the morning news. We are starting to hear more details about Canada's worst shooting spree in Nova Scotia last weekend, as well as the suspect involved. We're joined this morning by anchor and reporter for Global News Halifax, Sarah Ritchie, with the latest. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. I understand there's been some surveillance video released that may actually show the suspect on Sunday morning. What can we see in this video? Yeah, exactly. So this video was posted to Facebook yesterday. It was taken down just a couple of hours later, but the original poster said that it was surveillance camera outside of a business in on the Millbrook First Nation. That's uh, just north of Brookfield, Nova Scotia. So what it appears to show, and I do want to be clear that RCMP have not yet confirmed that this does in fact show the suspect, but what it shows is what looks like an RCMP vehicle pulling into this parking lot and then an individual matching the suspect's description gets out of the car very calmly takes off a jacket pulls on a reflective vest gets back in the car and drives away the whole thing takes less than a minute he's very calm throughout the entire video and nothing untoward is really seen nothing that would suggest at least that this was an individual on flight from police who would i guess in the next half hour or so go on to kill several more people steal at least one vehicle and then get into a a, a, get shot by police. It is a fascinating video to watch. I've seen it. It's the only thing that looks different is that you don't see the uh, stripe down the officer's pants as a real RCMP officer would have. But that car looks exactly like an RCMP vehicle. So you can see why there was so much confusion. Sarah, talk to us about the uh, the, uh, the firsthand now information we're coming from. For example, the one gentleman whose brother was shot and killed. Yeah, for sure. That was an interview with another outlet yesterday. I I watched it happen. A friend of mine is the reporter who did it. And uh, I watched that interview and was in tears watching it. To be honest with you, it's it's gutting. It's horrifying information. He uh, reported that what happened to him on Saturday night, he and his brother had heard a, a gunshot. He said they saw a fire and his brother wanted to go and see what was going on, which is pretty normal, you know, in a small town. Mm-hmm. If you see a large fire and you wonder why it's still burning, you go you go to check it out. So he, his brother went to check it out. He said uh, after not hearing from his brother for some time, he went to go look for him, found him lying dead uh, and immediately found that there was somebody behind him. So he described running for his life, hiding in the woods for several hours, waiting uh, for police to come and tell him that it was okay to leave. Sarah, can you tell us about the community response? Because we're hearing that there's been a drive-by memorial and uh, even when it comes to the suspect, signs coming down off of his business. So uh, people Mm -hmm. are uh, taking action during this time as well and doing what they can to remember. Yeah, there's, you know, mixed emotions as as expected in something like this. There was quite a lot of anger in the last couple of days about uh, directed at the shooter, not surprisingly, and directed at, at the business that he owns. And just to, to describe it for your, your listeners, it's uh, the business that he owned was a denturist clinic and it had this massive set of, of dentures of teeth on the outside of the building and this big smile, these just huge signs that were very recognizable and very noticeable. People had started a petition to say we need to take them down it's a it's a constant reminder in our community on one of the main streets in Dartmouth of this man and of the thing that happened this weekend so before people started taking their own action uh, Halifax Regional Police went out yesterday they took the signs down they took uh, photos and had forensic uh, investigators at the scene there as well and they said uh, it was just in recognition of, of how unprecedented this all is but on the sort of 
brighter side. Another thing that people are doing is creating these vigils all over the place. We, we saw yesterday there was a, a lovely demonstration by people who uh, carried out sort of a vehicle parade from a fire hall where uh, they honored one of the victims, Tom Bagley, who was a retired volunteer firefighter to the RCMP detachment in Enfield, where Constable Heidi Stevenson used to work. So there was flowers and wreaths laid at those two locations. There's also lots of uh, heartbreaking memorials going up on the DeBert Elementary School uh, site. That's where Lisa McCauley has been a teacher of grade three and four students and you can see a lot of the notes that were created there and hung there were done by her students so uh so very heartbreaking but very touching as well thanks so much for joining us with the latest update sarah appreciate your time thank you that's sarah ritchie anchor and reporter for global news in halifax 748 and we just got a, a text in here and it's uh, very interesting uh, optimistic to to a large part it says there may maybe many businesses wiped out but one thing that business owners and entrepreneurs know, it's how to make money and how to get money. They'll probably go bankrupt and then start up again with a clean slate if possible. Something that Danielle touched on as well. It's uh, if, you're, if, if the rent is $10,000 a month and you have no income, mm-hmm. a few months into that, it's, uh, it, there's, there's no option. It's almost impossible, isn't it? Another texter saying, hey, Saskatchewan has nowhere near the cases Alberta has. And that's correct. And that's why they are already talking about the reopening of that province because they are nowhere near our numbers. So uh, we'll be able to watch them and uh, see how they start to unveil their plans. And perhaps Alberta will soon be following suit. Fingers crossed. Now we're going to be updating COVID-19 across the nation. Joining us this morning is Mike LeCouture, Global's parliamentary correspondent in Ottawa. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Well, the PM yesterday announced a lot of money for another group hard hit by the economic consequences of COVID-19. Our students, uh, what can you tell us about the program? Yeah, so it's a new Canada Emergency Student Benefit. So like the CERB, the Canada, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, uh, it's going to be a certain amount per month. It's going to be less than um, what the CERB would be, but consider this, it's uh, $1,250 per month for each student between May and August. That'll get started, like I said, in May, but it needs legislative uh, approval to get that done. So expect it possibly to be brought forth next week when Parliament sits. It's going to be worth a total of $9 billion dollars included in that will be 76,000 new jobs for students, special funding also for Indigenous students. Um, and they say students who volunteer for on the front lines of COVID-19, so that could be something as simple as contact tracing. It's a very complicated process and they need the bodies to do it. So they could get up to one and $5,000 through the new Canada Student Service Grant. And they're also doubling student grants um, that the government gives out for the year 2020-2021. Some Something that you know has been called for for quite a while now, especially by the NDP. Jagmeet Singh, though, yesterday saying, "Look, this is good, but still not enough." And frankly, the NDP still believes that the CERB should just be available to everyone. Two thousand uh, dollars, you know, that regular stipend to everyone, so that you're not missing all of these people. But it seems that you know Trudeau was asked about that yesterday, and he said, "Look, we are." targeting the people who need it what they don't want is for everybody to apply for it everybody to get the money even if they don't need it there are people i mean let's say frankly 
you and I, who are working right now. Mm-hmm. We're on this, you know, we're on radio. We don't need it. Um, and the government basically doesn't want you or I to apply for it if we don't need it. That makes sense. And it looks like, Mike, there'll be another announcement today with more money coming. This time, sounds like for scientists and researchers. Yeah, and to help mobilize Canadians in the efforts, uh, you know, in the fight against the virus, to focus on studying immunization and, uh, of course, push for, you know, more innovation on ways to combat the disease. And that's that plank that I think that a lot of people are looking at these days and saying, okay, we've all done our part now by staying home and making sure we try and help plank the curve. Um, what is science doing now to make sure that we're looking towards some sort of a vaccine? We're hearing reports of, you know, human tests in, in different countries. How close are we to that? And that really is the key for a lot of people on, you know, can we eventually get out of this and ease the, the health restrictions and the physical distancing? And, you know, a lot of experts have said we are not fully through this and not fully done with this until there's a vaccine. And I think that's why a lot of Canadians are looking at that and, and likely why the government is going to turn their focus to it today. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning, Mike. Appreciate having being on. That is Mike LeCouture, Global's parliamentary correspondent in Ottawa. These trying times can have quite an effect on one's mental well-being, but what if you don't have benefits to cover mental health care? And, of course, even a visit to a psychologist's office is impossible right now due to social distancing. Well, one innovative Calgary group is hoping to help out. Dr. Nori Kaler is the founder of OwlPod, and he joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Kaler. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Well, first of all, uh, what is OwlPod? Alpaz is a not-for-profit mental health clinic. We're all doctors. There's 15 of us here. We started in the Calgary region about three years ago, but now we've expanded to virtual medicine all across Alberta. So it's all virtual then, doctor, at this point, or was it always and it always will be? No, it was never virtual, actually. It wasn't uh, regulated by the government. We weren't allowed to do virtual appointments. Um, But since uh, COVID, the government has been absolutely phenomenal in allowing doctors to do virtual medicine. So now we're able to reach patients from all across Alberta if they have valid Alberta health care. So we're seeing patients from northern Alberta, southern Alberta, just absolutely everywhere. It's been very, very um, exciting to see that we're able to help people that weren't able to get care before. Particularly during this time, the mental health and well-being of uh, people out there, um, an unprecedented time. Uh, So tell us about how that works. Uh, You can have access to a psychologist even? Uh, No, we are all medical doctors. So right now, we bail the Alberta government because of this new code that they've allowed for counseling services. Um, So we are all medical doctors. Mm -hmm. There's no psychologists, but all the medical doctors that work for us have extensive training in mental health. Mm -hmm. It's their passion. Most of them... Um, do it part-time, two to three days a week. Some of us, uh, like myself, do it five, six days a week. Are you getting a big uptick right now, doctor, in people who are looking for some help, whatever it might be, because they're just having a a rough go right now? It's a great question, and that's exactly why we've ramped up services. Uh, It's a very tough time, not only for Albertans, but Canadians and North Americans and the globe. We haven't really been affected by something like this in maybe 100, 200 years. And uh, something that's concerning to a lot of us physicians is that um, we've been discussing mental health as a major issue in the past 10, 12 years, as you've heard of it as a buzzword. But now resources, as they're being allocated, have to be allocated to mental health because with 25% unemployment, 
um, our phones are ringing off the hook and we want people to reach out. We don't want them to stay at home and suffer and struggle alone. Social isolation is not a new thing. Loneliness is at an all-time high prior to COVID-19. Um, the world was struggling with loneliness. Even countries such as the UK had implemented loneliness ministers in their government. Mm. So this was a major concern prior to COVID-19, but now to force and to keep people at home, which is the right thing to do to prevent other people from getting sick, we now have a bigger issue on our hands is that we've deepened that social isolation and loneliness, and it's our main concern. Everyone that's calling in, 95% of them, if not everyone, is complaining of loneliness and anxiety and not being able to see their grandkids or not being able to see their children or not being able to see their friends if they're a university student. And as much as they love social media, they even them are craving this personal interaction. So is this uh, something that you'll do a follow-up on? Like, is it a one-stop shop? Or is this, uh, I could have a continued meeting, like, say, once a week with one of the professionals? Fantastic question again. So this is why we created this. We are working so hard to recruit doctors to make sure it's a, a very effective service right now. We will continue to do that. We have the ability to get people in in as short as 72 hours. People will get followed up within a week. Our vision is to always have someone see see a physician within one to two weeks. We have met that um, uh, our, that vision for the last uh, three, four months straight. So anyone that contacts us will get an appointment quickly, and uh, we hope to continue that. They can see someone once every two weeks or the next three to six months. As long as the government's able to support our initiative and keep those virtual codes running, we won't stop from our end. We will make sure that every Albertan that needs help will get help. And we're applying for funding for um, since we're not for profit, but uh, right now we, we are able to see any Albertan that needs help. So please, we just can't appreciate enough that organizations like yourself are spreading the word. Our biggest difficulty as doctors and healthcare providers is letting people know of the resources that exist. We um, are probably not the only one doing this. We're the only one that we know that are providing them free not-for-profit mental health services by doctors, but we encourage anyone that's doing things like this to spread the word so that Albertans have support during this difficult time. So, Dr. Keller, any cost to people? Zero cost, absolutely no cost, number of visits, doesn't matter. People can see a physician, as I mentioned, once a week, as long as they have Alberta health care, or even if they don't have Alberta health care and are living in Alberta, we are happy to see them as well if their plans are to stay in Alberta. The hopes are that we can spread the service across Canada. We believe that mental health services should be free for everyone. Thank you so much for telling us about it this morning. No problem. Thank you for having us and have a great day. And just remember to everybody out there, just make sure you're on the phone reaching out to organizations like us. So thank you again for having us. Thanks for your message. That's Dr. Nori Kaler, founder of OwlPod. You can find them online at OwlPod. That's O-W-L-P-O-D dot C-A. 8-11 now and across the country, youth at risk for family violence, hunger and related challenges are virtually hidden thanks to social isolation. So our next guest is trying to respond to this need, helping to create a support tool for educators, counsellors and others through virtual outreach. We're joined this morning by Wendy Carr, Professor of Teaching in Language and Literacy Education and Senior Advisor to the Dean of the Faculty of Ed at the University of British Columbia. Hi, Wendy. 
Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I mean, we're looking at kids who are really, they're, they're kind of hidden in, in plain sight, aren't they, with this physical and social isolation. And there are a lot of these kids who are at risk in our communities. There are, and um, I have to really acknowledge the great work that uh, schools, those who work in schools, are currently doing. They're, they're really doing the very best they can to reach out to all students. Um, but right now, there's a particular group who is is very vulnerable due to uh, the way that some family dynamics are being intensified through isolation and not having the typical release of either some in some cases parents going to work or kids being able to go to schools. Yesterday, a resource was released online. Tell us about it and uh, and how it works. How the website works. You bet. So what we've done, and, and working with uh, Senator Stan Kutcher and uh, uh, Children First Canada, Kids Help Phone, um, and some other groups, we've put together, it's really a, a very um, uh, brief set of notes to support those who are contacting uh, students at home uh, and just trying to suss out what might be going on for them, how their days are going, if their families. Uh, if, they're, if they have needs, if there are ways that the schools can support them. And um, schools are already very aware of their vulnerable students, um, students who have learning needs, emotional behavioral needs, that sort of thing. But this group who um, is experiencing family violence might not necessarily be known to them. So we've included some questions that um, ask, you know, try to get to how they're doing, how their days are going, uh, is there anything they need? Is there something that the school or the person who's calling can can do to support them? And then we've directed um, resources, references, help phone lines, ways that educators can help to get some resources or supports to families. So, Wendy, are, are there sort of ways that questions are being asked by educators through this program that you're offering them to, to ask the kids without them having to put themselves in jeopardy by answering? That's exactly right, and you've, you've gotten right to the heart of it. What we don't want to do is, is um, risk increasing danger for children. So the questions can be simply, uh, you know, how's your day going? Uh, what are you finding uh, enjoyable? What are you finding difficult? Any concerns? Um, tell, tell me how you spent your weekend. Um, describe a typical day. Draw what you're experiencing you know if there's a way that kids can uh email a uh, drawing um that sort of thing so just getting just the kinds of questions that teachers already naturally and counselors already naturally ask kids to see how they're doing and just looking for signs and symptoms what what educators and counselors know is what's typical for a given child mm -hmm. they already have a relationship with that child and so they're looking for it has something changed you know, are they more withdrawn in their responses? Can they even get a response? Uh, so that's the first question, is they want to make sure they can establish contact with all their students. So it's, it's, it's guiding questions. And then if they're, you know, if their antenna are up and they sense that something might not be um, the way it should be, getting a school counselor, getting an administrator or some community help to assist them in reaching out to that, that family. You've got some great partners, as you mentioned, uh, when it comes to Kids Help Fund and Children First Canada. But uh, for all of you, all the partners together must have been difficult because this has never happened before. We've never been in a situation like that to, to not have that face-to-face. 
It's true. And uh, while unfortunately family violence, uh, is there's nothing new about that, uh, the dynamics that are going on in some families uh, are really intensified through, you know, loss of work, uncertainty about the future, not knowing, uh, you know, where food is coming from or, or how you're going to pay for bills, that sort of thing. And then the, just the confinement, you know, some, some families just don't have the space to be at home together um, and there's no outlet. There may not be sufficient uh, technology access to uh, be making contact. So, there, but, you know, all of this is just heightened uh, and the release of going to work or going to school just isn't there for some families right now. Such an important program. Thank you, Wendy, for joining us and giving us the details. Appreciate the chance to share this. Thank you. That's Wendy Carr, Professor of Teaching in Language and Literacy Ed, Senior Advisor to the Dean of Faculty of Education at UBC. 819 on the morning news. Our next guest has been inspired by the courageous initiatives seen around the world that are making a difference in the fight against COVID-19 and is doing their part to keep Calgarians safe during a time when we are most vulnerable. CEO, Move, Improve and founder of YYC Heroes Project, Andrea O joins us this morning. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thank you for taking the time. What is the YYC Heroes Project? Well, the YYC Heroes Project all started because my company, Move Improve, had repurposed a YouTube video made by the Stitch for Corona on how to make your DIY face masks at home based on the um, Centers for Disease Control recommendations. What, with our first thought of making sure that every Calgarian and every person who has access to an iPad could learn how to, without leaving their homes and using things in their own houses, make their own masks to feel safe and take the fear away. Well, as that all began, then we had people who were like, now that I know how to make a face mask and I can sew without um, learning on my own on an iPad, how can I now take these skills and then basically protect and support Calgary's undercover superheroes, those that are frontline, that are essential workers that are in the public all day to make them feel safe and to protect them. Undercover superheroes, I love that. So <laughs> how many ma- masks have you, have you put out into the community and, and where are you sending them? Um, to be honest, we just started this like okay. on April 9th. So, but we've gotten supplies and materials for easily over 5,000 masks already. Wow, awesome. We've gotten requests and uh, masks will be going out to like the Alpha House Calgary, the Brenda Strafford House, the Mustard Seed, the Women's Centre of Calgary, Woods, Woods Homes as well. We have several other requests that are coming in on the daily, <laughs> which is awesome. We've now just, um, as we've gotten all the materials together, we've had to identify the sanitization. Um, for example, Serve Pro Calgary will be sanitizing all of our masks and preparing them before they're going out. Um, we have have, we had to make sure we got the right wire. Again, there's, we wanted to make sure that we gave those undercover superheroes the best uh, and what they deserve out there. I know those N95 masks are, are meant for frontline medical workers, which is where they should be. They're at the most risk. But we also want to make sure that as people are washing these every day, that they're going to withstand that. We know that COVID-19 will end at some point, but we wanted to make sure that everybody had something that with confidence they could walk down the street and be, be there to serve others because that's what their job is all about. And YYC Heroes, it seems like they just, you, you folks just want to take the barriers away, including that if, if I did not have the supplies at home, you folks will provide a prepackaged uh, kit so I can make masks. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Um, but so, for example, for the YYC Heroes Project, we source everything, and it's all by donation and donation in kind as well. Um, where we'll have all of the pre-cut cotton fabric, we'll have the cut um, wire sheets. Um, we'll give you like the elastic bands or the ear ties. We also have like the Move Improve app that you can download for free that shows you how to make it at home. Um, we have our Facebook group where you can once you join up and join on the team and register on our website, then you get access to those so that all the patterns are there any best practices how not to break your needle in the sewing machine because I did that first <laughs> all those things um, we have access to make it a fun experience and like really people make people feel good about the act the activities and energy that they're putting towards something that we can do something even though we are quarantined in our homes love it Andrea we can donate through that website too yes um, yeah, you just go to the okay. website and sign up to be a part of the YYC project team. Perfect. And then whether you want to donate, whether you want to sew, drive, um, cut fabric, like you can really let us know how you want to be a part of that. And we just kind of go from there. But it all begins in your own home where you can do this for yourself and just download the Move Improve app. It's available on the iPad and it's free. Moveimprove.org. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, you guys. Great initiative. That's Andrea O, oh, the CEO of Move, Improve, and founder of YYC Heroes Project. 909 on the morning news. HGTV star Scott McGilvery says to make money, your vacation property has to stand out. So he's teaching us how to turn problem properties into profit using his vacation house rules, which, of course, is the name of his new show. And Scott joins us now. Good morning, sir. Good morning. So is your show aimed at folks who already have a vacation property or who might be thinking of making an investment in one? That's a good question. And uh, we have both of those types of properties and homeowners in our series this year. So uh, most people already have a property. And um, it just turns out that when we were casting and when we kind of put this out to the public, it was a lot of people who already own a property and were struggling with it either because it was inherited or it needs a lot of work or just kind of, you know, was a little rough around the edges. Those are the people who, who reached out first. So that's, um, that's really where we focus most of our energy this season. Scott, is it more about looking for sort of the best features to unlock the potential of a vacation or rental home? Is it, is it like our own homes, like you go for the kitchen first kind of thing? No, it's actually it's actually quite different. This the, the whole premise behind this show because this is a brand new show. Um, this is the premiere we're launching. Mm-hmm. Is that we're I'm always you know talking to people through my social media platforms, always trying to get feedback. And people, you know, they've seen me on income property putting rental suites into houses. They've seen us flip houses. They've seen a little bit of everything. But people are saying sort of what's the next sort of most lucrative opportunity in real estate investing. I said, well, that's easy. It's short-term vacation rentals. And that sparked this huge conversation of, well, how does that work? Am I, you know, do I just post this place? I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do this the wrong way or you're going to get yourself in trouble. And we hear, you know, you hear the stories about people who rent their places on Airbnb and they have all these these problems. And I I always tell people the number one creator of, uh, of bad tenants is bad landlords. So <laughs> why don't we show people who either have a vacation rental property or have a vacation property or want to get into that space, how to do it right so that you can win every time and have a great experience. So if we have a property already, how do we know what needs attention? How do we know what will maximize traffic through said property? 
Well, you call me. That's <laughs> what if you don't take his call? <laughs> well, um, you know, I think you'll you'll get a good vibe when you see the series because we walk through sort of the step by step. We call it my rules. There's five priority uh, rules to look at when deciding what to do and how it's going to work. Obviously, one of them is is how to calculate the the profits on a vacation rental property to see if it's worth it. Uh, what design approach you should take, what features you should use or highlight. Uh, but it's a little different than renovating your own home. Like a lot of people on their own home, they'll look at the kitchen first. That might not be the first thing we do on a vacation rental. What we'll do is we'll maybe look for a theme. And if the exterior provides more value to do, like a, like the first episode, you're going to see a major transformation both inside and out. But what we did outside was, just as important, if not maybe more important than what we did inside, because it created a draw for the property. It really made it marketable. Um, it it made, made people, when they scroll past it, want to stop and get excited. And that's a, whole, that's a whole part of this series as well. Scott, as you said, the new show, it premieres Sunday night. So I'm curious as to any of your episodes, did you come out west? Because we're sort of in a different world out here than, say, Ontario. We don't have the lakes and that sort of property for for people to, to buy or to rent out. Yeah, so we have a variety of options for people. We did do a lot of sort of ski chalet style places. We did cabins in the woods. We did country homes. A vaca- because Canada is so vast and so diverse, uh, a cottage or a cabin uh, means something different depending on what province you're in. So yeah. we just did our best to sort of showcase all the different options that are out there. But it really is, um, it really is about what you make of it. You know, there's people looking to get all kinds of different uh, uh, vacations these days, and you'd be surprised at how. Um, how much you could rent out a place that's just a bit of like a a farmhouse getaway, for instance. You know, we worked with a couple that had a farmhouse and uh, like a carriage house, really, um, as part of their farmhouse. And the experience was about getting into a very small town and just enjoying, you know, the local market and the wide open spaces. And they have been crushing it with Mm -hmm. uh, with their rents there. Scott, we only have about 30 seconds left, but it's uh, only uh, the timely thing to do to ask you about coronavirus crisis and and how it's impacted your uh, business and and your television show. Yeah, I mean, look, we're all navigating uh, a new reality here. I feel fortunate that we filmed this series before everything changed so we can still get it to air. And I'm even feeling a little more fortunate that the show is still appropriate in this post-COVID, uh, you know, reality that we're going to be living in. People still want to take a holiday, but we're providing options that are close to home that allow you to, you know, stay with just your closest family members in one place and not have to interact with a, with a lot of people. So couldn't be more relevant and on brand than to have this show out right now for people, give them ideas and options this summer. Real pleasure to chat with you, Scott. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be looking for the show Sunday night. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. That is Scott McGilvery, HGTV star, host of the new show, Scott's Vacation House Rules. It premieres Sunday night, yes, on HGTV.